Hello, welcome to MusicCast. I'm your host, CJ Cox. This podcast is a production of the Foundation for New American Musicals, which is dedicated to educating, mentoring, and showcasing the next generations of creators of musicals for stage, screen, and new media. In this episode, I'm going to talk to former Disney star Ryan McCartan. We'll talk to him about how diabetes led him away from sports and towards theater, and how working on a Disney Channel show was his training ground. We'll also talk a little bit about what it was like to go through a high-profile breakup in the era of social media. But first, we're going upstairs to the green room of Rockwell Table and Stage before Music Hall. I'm talking to Zach Marsh and Ari Wojciechowski as they prepare to present their musical, The Dinner Party. All right, thanks for being here with us. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Sure. Uh, my name's Ari Wojciechowski. I co-wrote a musical that is, I guess, we're debuting or showcasing tonight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm Zach Marsh. I wrote the music and lyrics for this show called Dinner Party with Ari. And uh, how did you guys first uh, start working together? We're actually college buddies mm. um, from a little school in Seattle, yeah. and we never worked on musicals in college. Yeah, yeah. It was never an idea, but we always loved movies, and we did movie stuff, and we just sort of see a natural progression from telling stories with through film, TV, or musicals. So we kind of just do everything. Um, it's interesting that you say you didn't start with musicals, so... Yeah. No, yeah. So the first thing that we tried to work on was like an animated web series. We yeah. were trying to get that off the ground. But that quickly became overwhelming. <laughs> we realized how hard that is. Yeah, we found out the hard way very quickly. That yeah. That's a lot of work. Animators either. Yeah, so. we had a friend who, who were like, maybe we were trying to like coax to be an animator, but it didn't work. So. I always have friends that I'm trying to coax into doing things. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. the worst. Yeah. And so what was the transition to what made you decide, all right, you, I'm going to do musicals? I think I reached out to you yeah. and I was like, well, you're a writer. Have you ever thought about doing musicals? I'm working on this musical. I had been working on a show since I was like 17 off and on. Yeah. It was about this little kid named Jonah. And we were working on that show for a while. And then, yeah, we funny enough, this that. is sort of all um, coming to a head tonight because I had come to a musicale long, long time ago. Oh, right. And I had seen some shows here. And I was like, I feel like I could do this. I had never done anything uh, musically related in in L.A. because we were both from Seattle originally, and I moved down to do film, and I was always working in film and TV, uh, writing, scoring for film and TV, and so I saw a musical. But you studied music, and that was that yeah. Was, was, music composition was my. That's why it's sort of fluid between the both of us because music composition was my major. So I was writing for different ensembles as well as like TV and film and and all of and web, you know, anything that I could get my hands on writing and so that's why it's sort of like that's why i see musicals as just like another extension of ways to use music to tell stories you know which is really similar to film scoring and stuff like that awesome and uh, what about you what did you say uh i studied nursing actually yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. it's a long harrowing story <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no i write writing is the goal writing i i anticipate i'll be quitting nursing soon is the goal. It's now, what was the impetus? Did you always did you always like music? Um, were you always musical as a oh, child? Or? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I grew up listening to musicals. I love musicals. Fiddler on the Roof was one of my favorite. My Fair Lady also loved yeah. that. And uh, <laughs> my parents both, I wouldn't say forced, but they were very, very um, adamant about having me learn piano at an early age. And 
I taught myself guitar, and then my mother put me in orchestra very early on. So music was always a part of my life, but it, musical specifically was never really a plan um, until Zach reached out, and I was like, this would be awesome. Okay. So in some sense, I was able to coax one friend <laughs> <That's> true, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> into writing musicals with me. And he was just, Matt's just the type of writer that's just always writing constantly, constantly. And so I was just like, hey, write something with me and we'll write. And so we were just immediately writing a lot of um, music and book and everything all at the same time. And then so just getting back to what I was saying before, I came to Musical and I was like, we should do something that's like really easy to put on in a really small space that has a small cast. So we wrote, so all I said to him was like, I went to this thing last night, it's really cool, they do a lot of new musicals, we should do something that has four people, two guys, two girls, so I can have some nice three and four part harmony, and that's all I said. I was like, maybe, I I think that's all I said. It was like literally just practical musical reasons, and then he got right back to me, and he said, okay, well tell me what you, tell him what (laughs) you said. was so eager to write for somebody else because my whole life I've been writing for me. So I, it was just kind of like this fever pitch. Wait, writing for you in what sense? Uh, writing uh, for you as a performer or? No, so a- just, uh, just writing with the hopes of someday becoming a professional writer and just like setting a deadline for myself to finish drafts and posting them online, sending them friends to get feedback. So never for anybody else. It was just for me to get better at writing. Well, let me, let me ask you a little bit mm-hmm. about your process. So how do you, write, how do you work together? Ooh. Do you both work on music, uh, or is one of you exclusively lyrics and book and another? So that's been a huge learning process. Yeah, for sure. I think that's why this show has taken so long. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. Just trying to figure that out. Initially... We, I'm very active, like on the front end, I guess. But as we've gotten closer and closer to production, Zach has taken the music and really gone for it. Because at the end of the day, I'm just there to, like, steer the narrative and the like character content. And then Zach, he takes all that stuff and molds it into song. Yeah. So, I, I think we have what works well is that we have a clear delineation of roles. So, Matt Ari is always going to be over. Um, the book side of things and plot line, all that kind of stuff. It's sort of like that's going to be his main thing. And then I'm always going to be over music and lyrics. And so we're both helping each other. I'm giving him ideas Mm -hmm. for um, the story arc, plot line, stuff like that. But he's giving me ideas for lyrical content, what this song could be about, all that type of stuff. But then we sort of, it, it works really well because we sort of have like those clear uh, delineation and then and then like what he was talking about like we we were working really closely in the beginning too as we were like figuring out really what the story was about and then when it came to actually getting the dialogue down kind of he, he goes off and does his thing and then it, when it comes to like really figuring out what the themes of the music is going to sound like I kind of go off into my cave and do my thing and then we come back and like you know, show each other what we've got and that kind of thing. So that's sort of how the collaboration has worked. How does feed work, feedback work on that uh, with both of you? I mean, are there times where you think, uh, I was thinking something different, and how does that yeah, work for you guys for sure. I mean, in I a think, collaboration? I think 
one of the best things about this is that we're very like direct. Yeah. We don't really like candy foot around anything. We <laughs> especially if something's and you're really good at this too. You'll just be like, eh, I don't think that's gonna work. Uh, it's not gonna fit in with the music. And we don't really shy away from like hurting each other's feelings. At least I don't. Yeah. I don't think from my perspective. I've never felt like if I had felt early on like the things that I was critiquing was hurting Matt's feelings, then I probably would uh, have recoiled a little bit. But I could tell that he was just so uh, humble and and not holding it so close that he wouldn't, you know, uh, take constructive feedback and stuff. And then it was the same for me. I'm actually probably, it's harder for me to get feedback probably, but um, Matt always says things in such a way that it's like super helpful. Or, Or he'll say like, you know, like he he knows when I can sort of do better or go further with something yeah, too, which is yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. I think that that was really like freeing to have this moment of like, oh, this is when I step back. This is when I just let Zach take over. Okay. okay so yeah, really nice. and just to explain that a little bit more, one of the things that was sort of weird, and because we're really refining our process right now, one of the things that was interesting about this show is I wrote music for every um, part where we knew there was going to be music. Um, long ago, but uh, it wasn't until we really decided that we were going to put it up and start showing people and really getting it out there that I went back and really made the songs into more classic musical theater songs because before, since we were thinking so much story-wise, we were thinking so much story-wise, the songs were just sort of there as a way to continue to tell the story. I was kind of coming at it more from the film composer perspective where it was like there was these little themes and these little motifs but they weren't really like dynamic musical theater moments that would last on their own and when we thought about performing it it was like well we can't really perform this song because it has a beginning and middle but it doesn't really have that like musical theater punch that people are coming going to expect that there was a contextual element that that was necessary for the story yeah yeah exactly i was writing more so just thinking about like this is what these characters would be talking and singing about in this context um so so when i went back and revised the music revamped it to really be like this song can hold up on its own that's when the show really started to take um to, to be a, on its own footing, I would say, because in what you'll see tonight, it's like there's one song that can function on its own. It's one, you know, moment. And then there's the second song, which is also like very much its own thing. Well, uh, tell me a little bit more about that. So tell me about the show uh, yeah. that you're presenting tonight. Uh, let's uh, let's give us a little bit of, yeah. of background on the it. The fever. So the fever pitch that I gave. Yeah. Um, I just thought really quick, okay, a cast of four, minimal settings. Um, I just thought of a dinner party, and I was like, okay, what makes a dinner party engaging? Murder, obviously. <laughs> yeah, obviously. And then, but I hate, I, I hate in my writing when I have somebody that's purely a victim. I don't find that as compelling as two parties that have their own agency. So I was like, okay, what would make a murder really, like, difficult to occur? And, like, what would make it more confusing? Oh, like, let's... <laughs> sounds perverted. <laughs> I was like, oh, how do you oh, work like sex into it? So the other, so I was like, okay, like we have two couples. There's this couple that's hosting the party that wants to murder the guest couple, and then the guest couple is trying to initiate this like orgy slash swingers <laughs> night. Yeah. And that was it. That was it. it. Was just like this very gimmicky pitch. Yeah, it really yeah. was. Yeah. yeah, the depth came much later, yeah, yeah. but but that pitch was so interesting to me because I was like, oh my gosh, you could do so much with the double entendre, people 
missing each other, miscommunication, and it would just be like this shit show, shit show you know? So, right. um, so I feel like that was really the, the initial idea. And then, and then another thing that Ari's so good at is, is bringing depth to something that is sort of like gimmicky in, in the front end. And so mm-hmm. then the rest of the show really so much backstory in the intentions of everybody and why they're doing the things that they're doing. And um, that, I think, is going to be the most satisfying because if it were just about sort of the double entendre, you know, it would be a cute little show. Um, But we're we're really excited that this show, even though it has some, like, high stakes and crazy uh, situational comedy, it's... At the heart, it's about you know relationships and people miscommunicating, and and an example of what good communication looks like versus what bad communication looks like, and all that good stuff. Yeah, and that was I think that was something that we figured out pretty quick too. Like even through the writing process, I was like, how can yeah. I stretch this out even into like fifteen minutes? This is ridiculous. <laughs> and initially, I was just like, oh, like this couple's crazy. This couple's like super horny. <laughs> but then we realized that it was about communication and. Yeah, ultimately, I think we were like, okay, this show is actually about, like, relationships die without transparency and honesty. Yeah. And I think once we hit that, it's really when it took off. And we were able to have, like, a narrative arc. Do you find there, in the show, are there, and I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm looking for spoilers, uh, <laughs> but are the couples, do the couples find themselves at cross-purposes uh, within their own agenda? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much sure, so. For sure, yeah, yeah. So that, that's a big theme. So both couples, they uh, both have, like, their overarching, like, goal, but, like, within, they have their own motivation, and, like, some of them don't want to do it at all, but they're doing it for the other person. Others are doing it for their own, like, self-benefit and, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Kind of yeah, we were able to do that without any spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> I was like trying to like, I don't, I don't yeah. Okay, that's that's great. Now, are how far along are you? So there is a full draft of the show. The show is a one act musical. So okay. we again, when since we set out sort of for this idea of a show that would be easily produced and easily set for any um, performances like this. Right. Although, um, let me ask you. Yeah. Uh, so one acts can be sort of. Any any yeah. length. Uh, how long do you see it run? I mean, it'll be s- between twenty to twenty five minutes. Okay, yeah. so um, just enough time for about four to five bigger numbers. Um, okay. The dialogue is pretty minimal. It, it moves yeah, pretty quickly yeah. into music. Um, but yeah, we have we have a draft of the show. Um, I would say we are looking to put it up soon. Yeah. We're, we're debating whether we want to go the one-act festival submission route or okay. um, just to kind of go for it. Um, we've been looking at, you know, the cost of just producing it on our own. Just to sort of, we want to get a video, good audio recordings of everything, and say, this is what, this is the stuff we're interested in as a writing team. Um, and then just kind of go from there. So this is sort of like our calling card show. Um, and then I also teach. I do musical theater. The last program that I did here was with um, this program called The Miracle Project. Which yes. Is, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, exactly. It's, um, a, uh, although, tell people about it, please. Yeah, the, the pitch is it's, it's a really a, a musical theater troupe for people on and off the autism spectrum. And... Um, we write our own musicals. I write a lot of the music for that. I write it with students. Um, sometimes 
I'm more hands-on, sometimes more hands-off. So that, I shouldn't say that I haven't done anything in musical theater. I've produced two shows at the Wallace in Beverly Hills through this program, and those were professionally pro- produced. Um, and things that I'm still so, so, so proud of. Um, and it, it really is a, a exceptionally unique program. There's not really anything else like it, which helps us. We've, we've, we've gotten to go and, and uh, sort of clone ourselves and do this program in different parts of the country as well and start we've we've done this uh, residency at brown where we go there and teach them sort of our process of how to uh write musicals use musicals as a uh a venue for teaching social skills and um for unlocking creativity all those different things so and essentially you're you're hoping to plant sort of seed programs that people are taking this work and doing it elsewhere exactly right now we have three seed programs la is our hub we have one in san francisco um new jersey and at brown university in rhode island so so those have been really cool to be able to start to um repeat the process and see that it still works in other parts of the country. It's not just an L.A. thing, you know, it kind of is universal. Um, um, yeah, so it's, it's been really cool. So that, that with the, this musical, with the, the movie stuff, it's all sort of coming to a head right now. You were very busy. Now, if people want to keep track of you, do you guys have, uh, what, what's the best way for people to, to find out more about? That's uh, yeah. hilarious. Yeah, about the you know we party. really need to set up like a Facebook page Yay. for this mu- for this musical specifically. I've seen other people. I'm like, oh man, wow, yeah. we got to do that. <laughs> but uh, no, we. Uh, I mean, you know, at Zach Marsh is my Instagram yeah. handle. Um, at, people can follow what yeah, we're doing there. Yeah. And What's yours? At Ari Wojciechowski. I need to change. I just need to make it shorter. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Zach will plug me sometime. Ari has <laughs> a has a uh, impossible last name, yeah, which is yeah. why. No, yeah, yeah we can terrible. find so, it. So Ari's actually like a. A pen name that's not even my real name, so but yeah, <laughs> that's why I keep I'm switching back between Matt, Matt, and Ari. Yeah, it's a right. writing this is name. the first time I've had to use it, and it's very strange. But uh, yeah. I, you will, as you spend more time in LA, you will become more and more accustomed yes, to that, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I so, I want to thank you guys for talking to me, and I'm excited about uh, seeing the numbers you're presenting tonight. Yeah, thank and you so much for having you. us. This is really awesome. Appreciate it. Look thank forward you. to the dinner party. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, thank you. All right, thanks. <laughs> you can find out more about our writing duo at ZacharyMarsh.com or look into the great work they're doing at The Miracle Project at www.themiracleproject.org. Next, I'm going to talk to Ryan McCartan. As an actor, he's known for his recurring roles as Diggy on the Disney Channel sitcom Live and Maddie, and for his role as Brad Majors in the 2016 Fox TV version of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. He also played Jason J.D. Dean in the Los Angeles and the original off-Broadway versions of Heather's The Musical. So let's talk to Ryan. Hello, everybody. (laughs) My name is Ryan McCartan. I'm an actor, singer, producer whole bunch of stuff like that and here i am very excited to be here uh, yeah well thank you thank you for being with us um you are wearing a lot of hats right now um what do you what do you consider yourself most uh first and foremost uh an actor singer singer actor um oh, actor producer what uh you throw all, you throw these hyphens in there and all of a sudden you got me thinking i mean yeah. so I, I my introduction to the arts was through theater um i i've been acting in the minor market of Minneapolis theater since I was six years old. What um, was your first production? Do you remember? Uh, yes, it was, it was a, it was an original piece called the Christmas schooner. 
um, about uh, a ship that took Christmas trees across one of the Great Lakes from somewhere to somewhere so that, like, Chicago could have Christmas trees or something. I don't remember. I was six. But <laughs> but I, I was the son of, like, the lead captain guy. And then, like, he dies. And spoiler alert. Oh, well, I, I then, always think of ships going across the Great Lakes. Eventually, they're going to sink. That's and, right. That's you know. right. I mean, you know, and when it when the whole musical is about a ship, like, you gotta you got to assume it's going to sink at yeah, some point. Yeah, you know that that's Spoiler alert. That happens in Titanic, too. <laughs> oh, great. Thanks for ruining it for me. <laughs> Um, okay, and so you did uh, just children's theater, community theater. Um, uh, no, they, they they were they were professional houses. Um, you know, the, the Minneapolis has an amazing minor market for theater. I mean, they have the Guthrie there, which is a, a oh, yeah. Tony Award winning Lord A Playhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, the Children's Theater Company, which is a children's theater, but it's a it's a it's a professional house, and it has also won a regional Tony Award. If I'm if my recollection serves. Um, the Great American History Theater is where I got my start, which is another really incredible house in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, and so there's there's just there's a there's a really good market there, a really good um, um, environment, fostering a lot of opportunities for young guys and girls to uh, sort of get their teeth wet and in in, um, in the arts. And so that's what I did. I was I was uh, I was diagnosed as a diabetic when I was six oh. and, um, a lot, a lot of kids, I'm not, you know, trying to be like, Oh, what well, was me? But like a lot of, a lot of kids can make that work. You know, like, um, I was playing a lot of sports, uh-huh. um, as a kid and a lot of kids can make that work. But for some reason, my body was just like not having it. I remember that I was, I was like playing a little like peewee soccer game and I literally just like sat down on the field and like, I was just done. And my oh. dad like had to come and like carry me off the field. And he's like, what's going on? I'm like, I just want like juice. I just feel so weak. Oh, wow. So, so I was just, I, there was, there was no negotiating with me, no more sports. And so, um, then my parents were like, okay, well you have to, you have to do something with your life. My sister essentially came out of the womb singing and dancing. Um, she, she's older, three years older than me. And, uh, and so I was kind of like, well, you know, I could give that a shot. Like Allison does it. I always looked up to her, still do. And um, actually the way that I got in, we went to a voice lesson of hers. Um, and my mom like had to bring me with because I wasn't in school that way. And like we didn't have a nanny or anything. So there I sat and she was doing her voice lesson. And at the end of the lesson, the 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 voice coach um how did this work? He, he, he went up to my mom and he was like, Oh, well, does your son sing? And she was like, I mean, not really. He was like, well, let me, let me just do a couple scales with him and like, see what's up. And what we didn't know is that he was in cahoots with the artistic director at the great American history theater who was <laughs> casting for Christmas schooner. Okay. And he lied. He sent him this email being like, Oh, this kid is so good. He's so experienced. He's such a pro. Like, this is your kid. This is in reference to you. In reference to me, six year old <laughs> Ryan who had never been on stage before. Okay. And, uh, so I go and do this audition and it's like literally like me and the artistic director and the music director, like, like basically like shot ahead to final callbacks with, which I didn't even know what that was. Right. And like did this thing. And I remember them, I literally, even like as a six year old, remember them saying like, oh, it's just, it's just so refreshing that you're so young, but already so experienced and like that you're such, you're so professional. And I was just like, what? I'm six. What are you talking about? (laughs) And lo and behold, they gave me the part and then sort of realized, oh, he has no idea what he's doing. Okay. Then afterwards they found out. Right. And so it was, it was double cast, Uh you know, because that's how they do it with kids. Yeah, with kids. And so the, the kid that they double cast, he was much older than me, um, 
and much more experienced. And so essentially the, the, the protocol was he do, he would do everything and Ryan would just watch and they would hope that I would kind of learn by osmosis and the whole diabetic tie in on Halloween, we had our first tech rehearsal and Arthur didn't want to go because it was Halloween. Right. And my mom was like, well, Ryan will come cause Halloween is poisonous for him. <laughs> and so I went to rehearsal and like really took advantage of the opportunity to show them that I knew my stuff. And then the tables turned. Then all of a sudden Ar- Arthur was watching and I was doing my thing. Wow. And um, that was so. So this was this whole, whole all about Eve thing for you? Yes, okay. yes, exactly. But with diabetes. <laughs> right. um, um, but I mean, I make the joke. It's like it's like in two ways, diabetes was kind of responsible for me getting into the acting sphere, which is just yeah. a weird sort of thing. But I mean, you know, I, I believe everything happens for a reason. It's the only way that I don't get depressed. So, and that and that really is kind of making the best of a bad situation. Precisely. Yeah. So, at what point did you decide that this is something that you wanted just? to do with your life, that this was, this was not just an avocation, but you wanted this to be your vocation. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting way to to put that. No one's phrased that question that way before. I like that avocation vocation. It's good. Uh, I think the turning point was, you know, when, when I was a senior in high school and everything was like getting really real about like, I mean, you know, the, the pressure they put on kids these days of like, you oh. go to college and when you go to college, you know, everything that your life is going to look like and you're going to meet your wife or husband there and you're going to know exactly, you're going to go straight to work and you're going to be in that job for 50 years. And we're all just like, what? Exactly. And the pressure is that, that by pretty much the middle of your junior year, you've got it figured out where you're going to school and what you want to major in. And, Precisely. And you've got your life entirely mapped out. Precisely. Which is, which sort is of this insane. bizarre amount of pressure that we put on kids. And so, lo and behold, I was feeling that pressure. Um, and... I don't really know where I got this chip on, on my shoulder because my, my, so my, my father is in education. He's a high school principal and my sister or my mom, excuse me, works, um, for target and they, they work very hard. And, and me and my sister had a really, really incredible life. But for some, you know, the, the suburb that we grew up in, in Minnesota was like extraordinarily affluent. And so even though we were never struggling by any means, like being in, being sort of, middle class classic um almost felt like poverty in this suburb just because i mean like it was insane it's 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 all the worst things about a rich midwest suburb you could possibly imagine like completely whitewashed just like it was no one no one asked you like what are you doing for spring break the question was immediately where are you going yeah where are and you i was spring just breaking? like i don't know target uh-huh. like geez <laughs> um and so I always had this chip on my shoulder as, as a kid about money. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I, I was always terrible at science and terrible at math. But when the time came for me to decide like what I was going to do with my life, I was like, oh, okay, well, um, I'll be a, a doctor or a lawyer. Having no idea what that entailed, I just knew that those professions made a lot of money. And right. so – and then like I think pretty much everyone in my life was like – no, you don't. You, that's not going to happen for you. Um, but I, I, I was afraid of being an, an artist because of sort of all of the ups and downs that a career in the arts entails. But it sounds, it sounds like people are the opposite of what most people who want to go into the arts are th- that they get. Whereas, you know, people say like, oh, I want to be an actor. And people are like, oh, maybe you should study something that will make you money. But in this case, they were saying like, oh, no, maybe you should be an actor. 
Kind of. I mean, so my my parents were always really good about um, not pushing me in any direction Mm -hmm. and trusting that I'd stumble in the right direction on my own. And then they do that terrible thing where I would come to them and have this like come to Jesus moment of like, I finally discovered this and I don't know how you're going to feel. And then they just be like, yeah, we, we knew this was going to happen. Okay. And so, um, and so, yeah, so sure enough, I, I went to, I went to college and I studied theater, but I was also in the liberal arts, um, sort of program. And I was, you know, my, like I said, my dad's an educator. He comes from a family of educators, six boys, all in education and all but two actually. Um, and, uh, you know, so I was like, so I'll be an English teacher. That sounds fine. Um, and about 60 days into my, into my studies at the university of Minnesota, I called my parents and I was like, I, I can't do this. Like I made a terrible mistake. And sure enough, my mom was like, we knew this was going to happen. <laughs> okay. So they, they were already ready for this. They were. Yeah. I mean, be, because I, I was, it was, it was just, it was just always, the arts for me. Like mm-hmm. it was just, it was an obsession. And yeah, it wasn't just acting. Like I, you know, I got my first guitar in sixth grade and, you know, all I wanted for Christmas that year was a drum set. And like, and I didn't know how to play the guitar, or the drums or the piano, but I would just sit down there and tinker until I kind of figured it out. And singing was the same way, you know, um, with, with the exception of that strange five minute voice lesson that I got that somehow got me apart. You know, I, I didn't really take voice lessons. I just sort of figured it out on my own. And so I was, I was always very curious and I, there, there, there was never enough art for me. I was always so hungry for it. Um, and so, yeah, I think they just, I think they saw that coming and I'm, I'm sort of ashamed that I didn't, but, um, but then just, just through a couple of really incredible, um, mentors and some great advice from really smart people. Um, I packed my life up into a mid-sized sedan and drove from Minnesota to California and I've been here ever since. Uh, okay. And then now I got, uh, this great role on this Disney channel show. Um, and I had that role for all four seasons of the show. You're talking and, about uh, Liv- 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 and Maddie. Maddie. Yeah. Liv and right. Maddie on, on Disney. Uh, what was, it, what was that experience like for you? Yeah. Was- you know, um, there's a, one of my favorite movies is that Limitless movie with Bradley Cooper, mm-hmm. and there's that scene where he like takes the pill for the first time. It's, it's for those of you who don't know the premise. It's like a, a pill that expands your mind to 100 percent of its capability, and it makes you this like crazy super genius for like four hours. But then it has these terrible side effects. Anyway, you should watch it. It's great. <laughs> um, but he takes the pill for the first time, and he's like he like writes like four screenplays and like learns Portuguese, and then he like sort of comes down from it. And the guy who gave it to him says. Well, yeah, I mean, it it works better if you're already smart. And that's sort of how I feel about sort of any, any, you know, Disney, Nickelodeon, any Mm -hmm. of these sort of like young actor factories, to your point. Like, I think it's churned out a lot of really professional, really heads up, really smart careers. I think it's also churned out a lot of sort of disaster cases. Um, And I, I just think it, I think it depends on... Um, on the on sort of the initial give that goes through the factory in the first place, you know, if 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 you if you have a good support system and if you really are in it for the right reasons, then I think, I mean, Disney Channel is essentially like Hollywood College, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Um, but by that same token, if you have 
a, a bad support system, and if you aren't in the right reasons, you're in it for the right reasons, college can be terrible for people. You know, they gain 50 pounds, and they get really upset about everything, and they get the, uh, this huge chip on their shoulder. So exactly. I've, I've seen people, it goes both ways. Yeah, people can go completely off the rails in mm-hmm. college. And I think that we just, we attribute sort of that behavior in, in Hollywood to just like, oh, this is, you know, this is the bad influence of, of, you know, how bad Hollywood is. But in truth, people can go off the rails kind of at any point. And then at the same time, uh, can we talk a little bit about your relationship with Dove? Um, yeah. Because you guys, um, so you became a couple mm-hmm. um, and you became a performing duo. Right. So you were very, very much entwined. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you were engaged mm-hmm. and then uh, you called the engagement off. And I know that breakups are always difficult, but was <laughs> it, what was it like for you? Because then that breakup sort of took place in at least a semi-public sort of spectrum with, uh, with, you know, fans and Twitter and, and all of these, what was that like to have to, to have to go through something that difficult, but in, you know, have all of these people chiming in about it? Yeah. I mean, so, so the, there's, there's, there's so much going on there. Right. So, yeah, I mean, we, not only was it, it, um, I mean, we were we were both very young when we got together, and we were together for four years. You know, uh, so it was it was sort of our first, both of our first really serious relationships. We we took that to the next level as very young people and wanted to be engaged to be married forever. Mm-hmm. Um, both, you know, I don't want to throw her under the but both of us had a lot of yes people in our lives. So, you know, there, there weren't a lot of people being like, Hmm, maybe rethink that idea. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, you or know maybe slow down a little bit. Exactly. Little exactly. Bit. We never, we never heard. It was just always congratulations. Good for you. We support you. This is awesome. Always. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that's just, that's just so dangerous when you're surrounded by yes people, you know, you need to hear no. At, yeah, at that formative age. I mean, I think just ever, you know, like I just think ever you, 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 you need to, you, you can't just be in an echo chamber. I mean, I think we're seeing that in, in the politics of today, you know, we see that in the workplace forever. We see that in our social circles that that's just, that's just a, a, a a bad situation for anyone at any time, in my opinion. Yeah. When we tend to just limit ourselves to voices that just reinforce our own point of view that precisely that that gets, that gets dangerous. Right. So that, uh, yeah, that must've been, but that must've been interesting. Well, it Um, was so, so, you know, when the breakup actually happened, there was a, there was a very, um, severe recovery process for me mm -hmm. that, that I had to go through, you know, just because of of whether it was whether it was a little you know bit of hyperbole or or just sort of my youth or whatever you know my love for her was really really profound and and i i really i really thought that that was going to work like i really thought like it was us forever i found it like yeah. i'm just one of those lucky people like i was really there uh-huh. um and our relationship had ups and downs, but but like, I like everyone, like everyone. But I just thought like this is it, mm-hmm. um, even up until the end. And so when when she did sort of end up calling it off, I was just shocked. Um, so so the the recovery process was really intense. You know, we we 
we completely stopped speaking, um, which oh, was also really hard because yeah, she was one difficult. of my best friends too, and someone that I worked with, you know. Exactly. So yeah, so so then you know we always made a joke that the girl in the Dreamcatcher, our pop duo, she was sort of the brawn and I was sort of the brains. Mm-hmm. You know, she obviously was this massive star. She brought a lot of publicity to it. She was talking about it on all the carpets that she was doing. Like she did a huge promotional push for us and that was a massive service for the band, you know, and, and in the meantime, you know, I was coming up with the concepts and writing the songs and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, we, we worked really well together, but I definitely got this chip on my shoulder because I, I felt, and I'm sure she feels this way too. And I'm not trying to take that away from her at all, but like, I really felt like that was like my artistic baby. And the fact that that was just like ripped away from me for what, of course, at the time I thought was such a stupid breakup. Mm -hmm. I was, so I, it it just hurt on so many levels, you know, like my artistic child was weeping. My, my, you know, hopeless romantic side Mm -hmm. was broken. Like it was just all of this stuff all at the same time. Um, but you know, yeah, that's that's rough. That's, it was. Yeah. It was. And to your point, the fact that it was all public. So yeah. the fact that everywhere that I turned, you know, all of these 14-year-old girls from Disney <laughs> Channel fandoms would have their opinions. And uh-huh. all of these really stupid rumors were spread and all of this, you know, just just – just stupid, stupid stuff that no one needs to deal with when you're already going through all the stupid stuff of what a breakup entails. How were you able to navigate that? Did you find ways to sort of shut that out to um, to kind of focus on yourself or, or what what did you do? To yeah, so so ultimately um, it it was the best thing that ever happened for me as a person um, because – as as much as I loved her and still sort of have that love for her in whatever way that I do, we were not good together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I'm sure she feels this way. Like, we, we were both spared there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, as a person, I found some no people. I found some people that would give me the honest truth. I... I I was able to bifurcate my attention of instead of all of my attention being on this one relationship that was, you know, the golden egg, it was like, okay, I need to, I need to expand my social circles and actually care about myself instead of this relationship that I've been in for so long. And so, you know, I, I definitely feel like I went from boy to man in that, in that sort of process. Um, and so it was, it was, it was finding those, those social connections of people who would really give me honest truth that I was so desperately starved for Mm -hmm. and then fostering those relationships and then sort of building that community around me. Um, that, that's how I did it. I mean, no, no one gets anywhere alone. That's how I, that's how I got through it and got over it and, and learned the things that I needed to learn by, by the people that, that were, generous enough to help me through it. No, I think that's, that's really important. And that's, that's really great feedback. I think for anybody is just the idea that you have to have people in your life that will give you sort of honest feedback Absolutely. And that, you can, that you can trust. Because that. that's, because that is, that's a real relationship. I mean, that's what real love looks like. Love isn't just hearing what you want to hear all the time. Right. You know? Let's circle back to, uh, back to theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so at what point did you, now you, <laughs> Uh, you did Heather's here in L.A., and uh, you were in the New York cast, right? Yes, I was, yeah. Okay. Um, how did that process come about for you? Uh, Heather's was in development for like 14 years wow. or something okay. crazy like that. I mean, uh-huh. it was so it was Kevin Murphy, Lawrence O'Keefe, and Andy Fickman, who, I mean, all three of them are enormously busy people. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm sure that was a big 
reason why it took so long to sort of get it on its, on its feet. But anyway, the stars aligned, I suppose, that um, the summer of the first season of Live and Maddie, they were trying to create this sort of staged reading that they were going to put on in L.A. to, to see um, what interest was out there for the musical. And uh, I forget how the story goes, but but they didn't they didn't know that I was a singer. They didn't know that I was a theater guy. Um, and someone found a video of me performing at the at the um, the Jimmy Awards in New York, uh, uh, which was something that I did in high school, a big award that I won. Well, and that's and that's that's huge. In fact, maybe let's uh, let's sidetrack for that um, for a moment, because, yeah, you were one of. Uh, so there are two recipients. Yeah, a, a male and a female recipient. Okay. And there, there are about 50,000 applicants and then like 100 of them go to New York and do this week. Um, I mean, it, it, they, they sort of call it the Tonys of high school theater. So your, your submission is through your high school theater, right. um, production that you did. And so every, um, or excuse me, a lot of high school theaters sort of have local awards mm-hmm. for their high school productions. And if you win one of your local awards and your, that award show is affiliated with the Jimmy's by winning that you can then submit to, to go and be a part of the Jimmy's, um, and, uh, again, this, this was like lawyer, Dr. Ryan, just being like, well, I mean, who knows, maybe I'll win some money for college okay. and went and won that award, went and took it all the way. And I was just like, what? Yeah. That's, that's, you know? cause that's, that's huge. Right. I mean, there are so many high school kids that, that are vying for that. And they yeah. were immense. Like so talented. Exactly. I was yeah. floored. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So they saw this video of you performing. He loved it. And so Andy called my agents and set up an appointment for me to come in and read. Um, and I did, and then I did again and then I did again and they gave me the part. And how long did the show run in New York? Um, I, I was only with it for two months and then I believe it closed two months after that. So it, 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 it died way too soon. Um, but but New has, York is, is has a beast. A, yeah, but it has a great following and just such love for that for that musical. Absolutely. Well, I mean, so we kind of developed a cult following, yeah. which I think, rightly, of course we did, you know, because so. that's what Heathers deserves. Uh, and speaking of cult movies, and then you did you did Brad in... Uh, so, so just to expound on the um, Liv and Maddie connection, so I'm on Liv and Maddie... Andy's the director of Live and Maddie. He takes me to do Heather's the Musical. Heather's the Musical runs for four weeks in Los Angeles. Kenny Ortega comes to see it. He asks me to come audition for his new Disney movie, Descendants, which I don't book, but Dove does. Mm -hmm. Dove and Kenny become really good friends. Kenny and I get to know each other a little bit more. He remembers, oh yeah, you're that guy from Heather's. And then a year later gets the bid for the Rocky Horror remake and calls me and is like, I think you're Brad. Yeah. And I was like, I think you're right. <laughs> and, and yeah, so so oddly enough, Rocky Horror almost came out of that whole Liv and Maddie connection okay. too. Yeah, that it, um, all, that it all kind of ties together, that there are all these connections. Yeah, and, and you know, when you're willing to sort of look back on your life, almost reading it like a book, it's, it's pretty clear where those chapters are. Mm-hmm. And to sort of see how all of that's connected and how all of that sort of bled into the next thing and into the next thing is just, 
it's one of my favorite things just about being alive, but also about being an artist. You know, you can really see like, oh, because I met that person or because I was doing that thing. The whole concept of like work begets work is, I mean, it's just so true. Um, And how can people follow you? I mean, you are sort of... All over the map, aren't you? I'm, I'm all over the map. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter at Ryan McCartan. It's just my name. Last name is M C C A R T A N. Someone took Ryan McCartan on Instagram. I'm still bitter about it. Uh. So on Instagram, I'm Macaria M C C A R Y A. It's half of my last name and half of my first name combined and in the wrong order. So chew on that for a second. Okay. And then on Facebook, I'm just Ryan McCartan as well. Okay, yeah. great. Well, we will. Um, we will keep people posted, and thank you very much for, uh, for sitting down for the interview. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Now let's listen to Ryan performing at the Foundation's Third Mondays. This is Freeze Your Brain from Heather's The Musical. I've been through ten high schools. They start to get blurry. No point planning groups because you're gone in a hurry. My dad keeps two suitcases packed in the den, so it's only a matter of when. All I can trust is this concrete oasis Seems every time I'm about to despair There's a 7-Eleven right there Each store is the same from Las Vegas to Boston Linoleum aisles that I love to get lost in I pray at my altar of smudge Yeah, I live for that sweet frozen rush I want to thank Zach, Ari, and Ryan for talking to me. Be sure to keep on the lookout for Zach and Ari's new musical, The Dinner Party, and also look up themiracleproject.org. 
If you're in New York this season, you can see Ryan on Broadway in Wicked. You can listen to more stuff from Ryan on the original cast recordings of Heathers, the soundtrack for Fox's Rocky Horror Picture Show, and also on his recently released EP, The Opposite. They're all available on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, you can subscribe to this podcast, and it would be great if you'd also leave us a nice review. Also, you can find out more information about the Foundation for New American Musicals at our website, fnam.us. There you can get tickets for events such as Musicale, Third Mondays, and our upcoming fundraiser at which we'll feature a reading of the wonderful new musical, The Molly House. I hope you'll join us for that event, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of MusicCast. Thanks for listening.